You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Uncommon Drive podcast with Jeff Cross and Chad Ozy. Join us as we look at life, leadership, and legacy through the lens of sports officiating. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Uncommon Drive podcast. Uh, we are thrilled to be back with you today. My name is Chad Ozy, and I am joined, as always, by Jeff Cross. How are you doing today, Jeff? I am well. Well, <laughs> yes, I like it. Yes, I am I am in a good spirits. I'm off today, so I get a little rest and relaxation. And I always look forward to days off. So even though I'm still working on something else, but I look forward to days off. So Very, very cool. I am excited about today's episode. Um, and there's a couple reasons why. Um, when we first started our podcast, we had had this idea that maybe we would do some like little quick hits. Mm -hmm. You know, so we'd have our regular episode and then we'd have just some quick like five, seven minute uh, quick hits. Some directed specifically at basketball, some directed specifically at baseball or other sports. And when we first did those, the audio quality was not good. Mm. Uh, totally and completely my fault. Uh, we've gotten a little bit better with our <laughs> audio quality since then, which is nice. And so uh, what we did was instead of hitting them all in just these little quick hits, we've decided today to talk about some very practical tips and tricks that can help us elevate our game as officials. Mm. And uh, Jeff asked the question, well, what, what does it mean to be an elevated official? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, um, what's elevated for you might be different than what's elevated for me. Meaning that uh, if if I am a, a C official, you know, if, if, if I grade out as a C, um, C plus is elevating for me, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. if if you're an A minus official, you know, you, you got to bump up to that A level. Mm -hmm. And what we're going to talk about today are things that you don't have to have 20 years of play calling experience to to learn and get better. You you don't have to have been to four postseason tournaments in baseball to do this. These are small things that everybody can implement. 
uh, to begin to elevate their game. And I love that because I think there's a lot of us, whether we work Division One, Division Two, Division Three, high school, junior high, whatever it might be, there may be some of these that somebody at every single level might go, oh, wow, I hadn't thought of that one before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never done that before. Yeah, so it's going to be exciting. It's going to be good stuff. Very cool. Well, we're going to start out with a, a, a couple basketball things here. All right. And so I'm going to throw this to you, Jeff. Um, first of all, um, it seems like one of the things that people get really worried about uh, is where they stand. Mm. Okay. Uh, where they stand. And so I want to ask you, when you come out to start a basketball game, the teams are doing their pregame warmups. Uh, if you're the crew chief, chief, if you're the U1, if you're the U2, where do you stand? Well, I think it's pretty simple. Crew chief right there at the old division line. And then, you know, the U1 would take the home team, mm-hmm. watch them warm up. And the U2 would take the visiting team. Now, I've seen some people stand free throw line extended. Mm-hmm. I've seen some people stand right next to the division line so you can still kind of visit. Um, I think the where you stand means very, very little. What you do with that time is the most important thing. Okay, so explain that, please. Right, so we're looking for headbands. we got to make sure all the headbands match, you know, follow within the rules. We want to make sure that if we have – undershirts they are within the ncaa rules uh, you know leggings or or the knee sleeves or the knee pads or whatever that might be those are all things we want to make sure are within the ncaa rule guidelines um that is the that's the the major thing then you might want to if you have enough time pick up on some tendencies oh i see the post play every time she does a, a post move she jumps with two feet in the air and then she puts the ball down so we might have travel there you know, all those tendencies can help us get prepared for the game instead of sitting out there going, yeah, you know, we're going to Fat Ricky's after the game, you know, whatever, instead of taking care of your responsibilities for, because we were out there 15 minutes prior to the game, but we're not always out there for all of 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Both teams go down. Maybe they both go down at seven. We go put our jackets away. We come back at two. Now, we, so we really only saw them for maybe six minutes. And then they all stopped practicing and warming up at one minute so they can get ready for the national anthem. So now we're down to five minutes. So we're not asking a lot. Just try and find some tendencies. Try and take care of that preventive stuff that um, with headbands instead of trying to handle that as they're entering the center circle and go, oh, geez, you got the wrong undershirt on. So, Well, you know, it's also a great reminder that we're, we're there to work yeah, during right. that time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, yes, the... The ball's not gone up yet. The the clock hasn't started counting down, you know, that first period. But yet we're still there to work. Um, and that's something that's true no matter the level we're at, whether it's a, a junior high mm-hmm. game uh, where there's two of you standing across and mm-hmm. one's watching home, one's watching away, or it's a three-person high school crew, college crew, whatever. Let me ask you this, Jeff. Is there an advantage to standing all three together near the division line? Or is there a greater advantage to the U1 and U2 being down near that free throw line extended? Yeah, I always, my advantage is to be closer because I want to, I want to be able to hear my U1 or U2's concerns. Mm -hmm. I don't, I think the, the optics, if I go stand, if I'm a U1 and I go stand, let's just say top of the three point arc and I have a concern, now I got to run, go talk to my crew chief and go back. 
you know, you know all doing all those things. It looks very nervous, looks very unsettling. Mm-hmm. It's no different than when I go look over the scorekeeper and I see my scorekeeper walking end to end on the, on, on the score table. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but I don't feel good about it. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want my scorekeeper sitting in their chair, chill, ready to go, got everything under control. And that's the, way, that's the presentation we should be giving on the floor. So, yeah, you don't have to be, you know, back to back with everybody, but at minimum, you got to be within, you should be, you should be able to think out loud during that time. Yep. Hey, you know, watch 44 there. What do you think of her move? Whatever that is. You know what? And some of you are listening to us today going, oh my gosh, why are they even talking about this? Mm-hmm. Like everybody knows this. Can I guarantee you everybody doesn't? Mm. So if you're a crew chief, you've got somebody that's new to your level and all of a sudden they get out there for the game and they rush down to that free throw line extended and they're watching their team with just all this intensity, right? Mm-hmm. They're probably nervous as all get out. Mm-hmm. And you've got your your you one on the other side is standing right there by you. And so now it looks especially funny because there's mm-hmm. two of you right there and the mm-hmm. other one's off by himself. What a great moment just to, hey, walk down. Hey, come here. Let's 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 talk together while we're watching, mm-hmm. you know, and, and bring three together and continue even that pregame time there at the division line. Because what you're doing is, is you're being uncommon in the way. You're, you're kind of reining that official back in mm-hmm. and helping them focus on what they need to yeah. do. Yeah, and when you're calling them, ask them a question. Yep. Hey, is is 44 legal with her headband? You know, I want your opinion on this play or on this situation. That's that's going to bring out the best in that, in that the newer official or maybe the official who's been doing it this way for so long and has never heard, oh, you mean we can actually communicate better if we're standing next to each other? Mm-hmm. I didn't think we could do that. So yep. I've just never... I've never seen anybody go to the postseason because they all stood free throw line extended and everybody stood there. So it's we got to get plays right and get our situations right. I like it. So Jeff, what do you take with you to the court for your pregame? What's what's in the pockets of your jacket? Um, what are you doing? Yeah. So always there's a needle, mm-hmm. a spare whistle, yeah, and then my whistle and lanyard. Okay, are always with me. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless we're having precision timing, and then that's already put on. But I typically don't even put my whistle on until it's time to go. So that's just kind of how it is. Um, but those are three things. I, it never fails when you forget to put the needle in your pocket. That's when you need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I used to put it in my jacket. I used to put the needle in my jacket because that's when I knew that I was going to need it. Mm-hmm. But um, just this year... With jackets were gone, put away, and we needed a needle for whatever reason. I forget what the reason was, but we needed a needle. So my partner said, I said, do you have a needle? I'm like, no, I do, but it's you know it's in the mm-hmm. locker room. So now it's in my pants pocket. So that's where I keep it at all times, just in case, just whatever that might be. And just this year, I had a game, so I had my spare whistle. And at halftime, I went in and took my lanyard off them around my neck and set it down on my bag, went to the restroom, washed my hands, did all those things. We were talking about a few plays, walk back out on the floor. I don't have my whistle around my neck, <laughs> right? So now I've got to, at minimum, I have a whistle. I could still, I can go. It's not an uh, optimal situation, but I can still go. And I went with no lanyard for just a few minutes until we had a timeout or whatever, and I was able to run the locker room and go get the, the supplies I needed. So mm-hmm. as much as you think you may not need them, it it doesn't it not doesn't cost anything doesn't weigh weigh you down mm-hmm. you know in yesterday's game in a division two game I 
um, it, the monitor is not the greatest. So when I have my contacts in, I, I don't have bifocals within my contacts. So I can't see close-up things. Because well, guess what I'm bringing? My reading glasses. Mm-hmm. I just set them at the table. That way they're with me. Or I'm, they're there. Because if it comes down to make or break, I want to have, I, I got to have an opinion. I at least want to be able to see it. So I, I'm not proud. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to get it right. <laughs> That's good stuff. You know, I have one thing that I add to that list. What's yeah. that? What's that? Um, I carry one or two safety pins in huh. my jacket pocket. I cannot tell you how many times people have needed it. Uh, one time the hem came out of person's pant leg, you know, while we're mm. running up and down the court and everything. And so during the break between the first period and second period, I walked right to my jacket. I grabbed out the safety pin, handed it to him. They pinned it up and we were good to go. Huh. Had another partner this year. I did not have my safety pin with me because I'd used it mm-hmm. not long before that. They're so expensive. I know. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> yeah. But uh, their, their zipper broke on their pants. Mm. And so then they were, you know, hunting for another, uh, another safety pin someplace to be able to just take care of that issue, you know, to get them back to the locker room where then they could grab the spare pair of pants or whatever they might need. Wait, mm-hmm. I actually had a zipper problem in my young, in my career. Okay. My buddy, Sam Nicholas, who lives in Peoria now, we were refereeing basketball, some junior high game. And we were down in Cisna park and my the, my buddy's getting ready to inbound the ball. He's the trail. I'm the lead or whatever it is. And he, you know, how you make eye contact. And he goes, he's looking at my eyes and he pictured me just looking down at my zipper. He's looking at my eyes. Looking, I'm like, what is wrong with him? I'm ready. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And of course I look and my zipper had broke. So I do this Spider-Man crawl against the wall so no one can see my <laughs> my my zipper being undone. And I sneak off in the locker room and I let Sam just work by himself because, you know, the oh, the, yeah. the cat was out of the bag, so to speak. So, oh, that's yeah. funny. So, yeah, we all have those issues and I wish my partner would have a safety pin on him. It would have been nice. So yep. I don't do that. So and you know what? I'll then take this to one that I do for baseball, mm-hmm. uh, but it also carries over for basketball as well. So for baseball, we typically wear tights or leggings, uh, especially if we're working the plate. Mm-hmm. That way it protects our legs with shin guards and that kind of thing. And I used to wear black tights because those were cheap and easy to find and that kind of thing. I don't anymore. I wear charcoal gray tights mm-hmm. underneath my stuff. Because if you're working the plate and you split your pants out, which has happened to multiple officials, thankfully mm-hmm. not to me yet, right. uh, but it could happen at any day. Um, you, you can't just stop the game right then and there to go fix that. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got the same color underneath mm-hmm. that there is on the outside, it's not quite as noticeable. So I've even begun doing the same thing for basketball now. I make sure I've got black on underneath just in case something like that would happen. That's exactly what I have. I have black on underneath my black pants. Um, uh, I forget what I was going to say. Go ahead. <laughs> That's great. It's all right. All right. Here's a here's a great one. Uh, we were talking about the beginning of a game for a basketball game. Mm-hmm. Um, you got the crew chief, the U1, the U2. Uh, they've announced the teams. Teams are heading out. The three of you are getting ready to break out and go take the court, right? And mm-hmm. so you fist bump right there. Hey, let's be the best team on the court tonight. Where does everybody go and what do they do? First of all, I want to say, you know, we do say that, right? Mm-hmm. But – 90% of the time I'm working with people that I've worked with over the years, mm-hmm. many, many games, been to many, many wars with them. I like to say 
let's go work the game we love with the people we love. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like so it. it just brings one more level of like, all right, this is going to mm-hmm. be a good day. Yep. So, you know, well, however that goes, right? Mm-hmm. So we say that and then we go. Now, the referee just goes across, right? Goes, mm-hmm. and I typically don't even go straight across. I put myself on an angle because I know I'm not going to come. Anybody who's watched a basketball game nine times out of ten, you have one team that is, you know, straddling the division line. And the other team is right next to them. So you're not going to be able to walk right between them anyway. So you're going to have to come in from one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So I always position myself typically real real close to the U2. Mm-hmm. And just so I can visit, you know, whatever that is. The U1, so the U2 is going to go directly to their spot. The U1 should go directly to their spot, not to this block scenario. And then, okay, now we're ready. And then we go to our spots again. Just go to your spots, ready for the game. This is where we. This is where we're we're preparing to start the game. Okay, I want to make sure people have heard this because yeah. I've seen this at the high school level. I've seen it at the college level. I've seen it all the way up to the Division One college level, sure. mm-hmm. where the three officials will all run across the court essentially together. And so the U1 and the U2 kind of go to the far corners mm-hmm. of the court. Mm-hmm. The U1 goes straight across the division line to mm-hmm. the far edge of the court. And then that U1 will then run all the way right back just about three mm-hmm. steps from where they originally started to stay at that 28-foot mark. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is, is that that doesn't need to happen. I, no. If you want to elevate your game. You want to be elevated in what you do. Go to the position you're preparing to work. Those I posi- like it. You know, and, and we're preparing to work. So I want to be at U1. I want to be next to the table. If the scorekeeper's going, Jeff, hold on a second. I want the, mm-hmm. I want the scorekeeper to be able to get a hold of me. To go, Don't start the game yet. If I'm standing over at the block or, you know, they're trying to get my attention. Wait, they just changed the starter. Whatever that may be, I want to be close to them. So... Um, in the U2, like I said, let's, let's get to the spots we want to be at. We're preparing ourselves. We're, we're, we're um, uh, uh, making our surroundings familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing those things. And when, like I said, when I'm the crew chief and I'm, and I'm throwing the ball up, I want to be right next to my U2. You know, I want to be able to actually physically talk to them, say, we ready? Looks good. You ready? Yep. Okay, let's do it. You know, those kind of things. When I, I I'm confirm with my U2. Then I look at my U1 and point to my U1. You ready? Yeah, they're ready. Look to my official scorer. Are you ready? Yeah, they give me the thumbs up. Everyone's ready. I go in to bounce the ball or to to toss the ball. Always bounce it three times. One, before I start bouncing it, right? Three bounces. I look up at the clock above the scoreboard and see that it says 10 minutes and 30 seconds before Mm -hmm. I do anything. So I've got to get all that stuff done before... I'm even ready to throw the ball up, and I can't do that if I'm too worried about standing in the right position, or you know where everyone thinks we should be standing. Where we should be standing is where we're going to get our best performance. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. Um, here's here's a next one that that again I think is is really key for a lot of us. How do you keep track of the possession arrow? Yeah, it's pretty easy. I know this is going to sound really high tech, but I watch them set the arrow. Okay. <laughs> I watch the official scorer flip the button to go white ball next. And when I have a jump ball or, you know, we have a whatever, a held ball scenario and we're going to inbound the ball in the ultimate possession procedure and we inbound the ball and the throw in's over and the arrow should be switched, I look at the arrow to make sure they switch it. That's all I do. 
I see many. Then I always joke that I look around at all my partners and watch them flip whistles to one pocket to the next or, or, you know, rubber bands or doing all kinds of things, trying to keep track of it. When all you have to do is look at the arrow to make sure they do it. It, you know, when we have four fouls on a team, we don't have like four rocks in our pocket going, okay, there's four on it. We look at the scoreboard and make sure they have four. And we should be treating the possession arrow the same way, just like the scoreboard, because it just never works. When the jump ball happens and the arrow is pointing towards white and it should be black, and your little pocket tells you that it's black, but everyone in the arena is looking at the arrow. No one cares what your pocket says. They're only going by what the arrow says. So what about that official that says, but Jeff, this has worked for me for 15 years. Mm -hmm. I've never had a problem with it. I always know what, I always know who's supposed to get the ball. Why is it that you would still suggest to that official that they not flip something from one pocket to the next, but instead use their eyes with the arrow? Well, a couple reasons. One is you're going to recall them switching the arrow. If you pay attention to the, I'm not saying you can't do both. Mm -hmm. I'm okay, I guess, if you want to do both. But more importantly, the switching from pocket to pocket or a rubber band or from one arm to the next is you have to visually see them switch the arrow. Mm -hmm. If you don't see that, you'll you'll struggle, I believe, in recalling that they switched the arrow. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to be like, the arrow's white and my pocket shows black. You know, you're going to be going through all these these mind games when really if you just watch them switch it now you could turn that part of the game off. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's really good. You know, another thing I do with the arrow is, is when we go in at halftime, when the arrow switched, I'll say to my crew before we even leave the floor, when we get back, it'll be Valpo's ball. Mm -hmm. Just so everyone knows. You know, just because you never know. We're not on the floor now. They could be playing in tic-tac-toe with that thing. We don't know what they're doing. They're playing mm -hmm. the strobe lights. So I didn't want to know that everyone verifies that it's in Valpo ball. Sometimes I even tell, you know, if I get a chance, if I'm by a coach, it's going to be Valpo, it's going to be Valpo ball when we come back. Okay, thanks. That way everyone knows. Sure. It's, it's not a top secret. So I, that's where I'm at on that. I like it. How do you know how to fix a clock? What I mean by that is, okay, now we have an issue. The shot clock didn't start correctly, or it got reset to 20 instead of 30, or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. How do you know with confidence how to go to the table and get the right thing at a table, especially if there's no recall on shot clock? No recall or even no replay. Sure. No monitor, right? I mean, it's this play actually happened to us last night. Okay. So... I'm going to start with the phrase, a short pencil is better than a long memory. Okay. Okay. When we inbound the ball, typically I try to put time possession in the ball, in, in the game. But in our situation last night, we had a lot of things. We had shot go up. We had a shot potentially get rebounded by the non-shooting team. Um, and, then we, and then the ball went out of bounds. In this situation, they had sh all that had happened, and they had reset because they th the shot clock operator thought that um, – the non-shooting team possessed the ball. Okay. And then it went out of bounds. We ruled on the floor there was no change of possession. And then we were going to stay with the shooting team. And we look up and the shot clock's at 30. Mm -hmm. Well, now we know that's wrong. So we have to find out. So we got to we got to do some math. 
But the best way for us to do math is we got to find out where we started. Hmm. So we went right to play by play um, and asked them, you know, walk us through what happened here. And the play-by-play person actually started a little sooner than what we needed. We shot free throws at whatever, 445. We were at 345 in the game, so we were a little ahead. But we just listened to him mm-hmm. say all the scenarios. He said, you know, then we, we had a foul, and he inbounded the ball at 405. We had a shot go up, miss, and then we had the out-of-bounds. I'm like, now we know where we're at. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we it was pretty simple. We had, you know, there was eight. I forget the exact numbers right now, but this is how we came up with the numbers. We knew we started at 404. The possession started with 404 with 20 seconds on the shot clock because it was after a foul. When we stopped the game, there was 18 seconds missing from an even minute. Mm-hmm. Okay, because that was how it was just easier math for us. Then we added the four, so we're at 22 seconds. So we have a shot clock violation. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say. Even some of the spectators kind of joked about, looked like we were doing some crazy math over there, mm-hmm. and how not sure how we came up with the number, but you were right, you know, did those things. Sometimes we got to look foolish to find the correct way, mm-hmm. and you know, that's what we did. I'm sure I felt like you know me and my partner were over there with you know fingers in the air, counting, looking, eyes rolling, doing all those things, but we got to the right number, and that helps us. But that's the only way we're going to be able to do that is if, one, you have a play-by-play that has some sort of idea. Mm-hmm. The scorekeeper had an idea, too. If play-by-play went ahead, the scorekeeper said, yeah, I had that file at 404. Mm-hmm. So all those things are nice. But you're going to have to slow down, trust your math, maybe get a uh, you know, calculator out, do something to make sure you get it right. And I've even said things like, Hey, possession started at 404. I'm not very good at math. Can someone help me with the math? Mm-hmm. I'm okay with giving myself up on that situation because the guy or girl sitting at the table who has no pressure in the game is just sitting there writing things down and go, yeah, this is easy math, 22 seconds. Well, I, I think your whole scenario here really brings two key things up. Number one, as often as we can possibly do it, we need to know the time that a possession began. Mm-hmm. You've talked about it before on this podcast. I've heard you talk at camps and clinics about it. If you work basketball at any level, if you can get used to taking your eyes up and finding out when a possession starts, mm-hmm. it can save you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason I do that is because that's what was preached to me when I started. I would mm-hmm. not have known to have done that on my own. So if you're listening to this and this is the first you've heard of this, this can save you. Mm-hmm. Jeff makes the statement that you feel like Superman when you can come in and you can fix the clock. I had it happen to me. Uh, I'm, I'm going back to the same school tonight that I was at a week or so ago when I had this happen. My two, one of my my crewmates went to the other one going, how much time should be on the shot clock? That crewmate says, uh, just ask Chad. He turned <laughs> to me. I put 23 up yeah. and we set it and went because yeah. I knew that the time of possession had just been seven seconds previous mm-hmm. to that. So those are the kinds of things that that are huge if we if we know when time possession began. The second thing that sometimes we don't always know or remember is that play-by-play is a tool that we have at our disposal. Mm-hmm. We can use it for if there's an issue with the arrow and we're not sure 
who shot, hey, who who inbounded? Did we have a jump ball since then? Mm-hmm. No, we didn't. Okay, well, now we know it needs to be black or white mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, we can use it for knowing when a time of possession started. We can use it to know, well, does that player have four fouls or five fouls? Mm-hmm. There are so many things that that can be used for. We can, have they taken all their timeouts? If mm-hmm. the official book says, well, they took their last timeout, and the coach says, no, 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 I've still got one left. Well, we can go and we can look at play-by-play. Mm-hmm. And we can say, how many timeouts do you have them taking? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of us, especially newer officials to the college level, because at high school we don't have play-by-play. You know, yeah. But at the college level where that happens, that is a tool that is at our disposal. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to flip the script here for a second. Sure. In baseball, how do you keep track of the count? <laughs> how do I keep track of the count or how should we keep track of the count? No, that's uh, me being a little bit facetious there. I am very fortunate now that most of the places that I work have scoreboards that are very good. Mm-hmm. And so I no longer use an indicator whenever I call balls and strikes. Um, I actually had a, a clinician just a couple of years ago that challenged me with that said, mm-hmm. Hey, do this. And in fact, I've gotten so good at it now that even if I were to work at a stadium where the scoreboard went out, I would still work the game Mm -hmm. without an indicator. Now, Mm -hmm. I always keep an indicator in my left ball bag. If anything out of the ordinary happens, let's say there's a straight steal of home on a two and two count. And there's a collision at the plate run scores it was a ball on the pitch and the catcher's now laying on the ground with a potential wrist injury from the the tag that he tried to make Mm -hmm. so now everything stopped i immediately reach into my ball bag i pull Mm -hmm. it out and i set it for three and two Mm -hmm. so that that way if anything else goes on and i get distracted I know when we come back to finish this at bat Mm -hmm. we got a three and two count Mm -hmm. on the batter um I don't do that every pitch because for me, one of the things that I do to keep myself locked in as I call balls and strikes is I am giving myself the count every single pitch. I'm in my head, it's two and two count. Ball in my head, three and two count. Whether I'm giving that count to the field or not, Mm -hmm. I am giving that count to Mm -hmm. myself every single time. I will even go one step further than that. It's a two and two count runner on first base, I have a rotation to third on a clean base hit. I will tell myself everything that I need to do if that happens. Mm -hmm. Two and two count, runner on first base, going to third on a clean base hit, staying home on a fly ball in the outfield. Whatever it might be, I am telling myself those scenarios. It's that self-talk. And what it does is it keeps me locked in, and now I have a better chance of reacting correctly Mm -hmm. when and if that thing happens. So... What if you're on the bases? Do you keep an indicator on the bases? On the bases, I do not keep an indicator whatsoever. At the collegiate level, we don't. I encourage every single high school umpire, little league umpire, whatever, to get rid of an indicator in your hand when you work the bases. It's still your responsibility to know what the count is. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we know from a mechanic standpoint, it's the home plate umpire's responsibility. Mm -hmm. But what... Every field umpire has had the shortstop say to them, hey, Blue, what's the count? Mm -hmm. Okay. I think it looks really dumb when then 
I look down at an indicator mm-hmm. and I go, uh, it's a two and two count. Mm-hmm. It looks a lot better when that shortstop says to me, hey, Blue, what's the count? Hey, it's two, two. Well, how do I know it's two, two? Because every single pitch, I'm doing the exact same thing on the bases that I do when I'm on the plate. Mm-hmm. Hey, we got two and two count. And I, this is, you know, I'm going to go back to my baseball days for a little bit. And, you know, I, I did the same thing, right? Didn't carry an indicator on the bases. Didn't carry an indicator. I, I don't want to say didn't carry, didn't use, mm-hmm. right? I would, I would still always have it with me in these big rain delays or some sort of delay where I just want to make sure I had it down so that way we didn't forget about it. But, and because a question came up, so whatever. So let's say I'm the plate umpire, you're the base umpire. And I say it counts three balls, two strikes. And coach from White comes over and goes, no, no, it's two balls, two strikes. It's not three, two, it's two, two. And it, can you ask your partner? Okay, yeah. Your partner goes, yeah, it's two, two. My question is, what makes Chad, the base umpire, right over me? Mm-hmm. Someone has to know the right answer. Just because the base umpire has something different than the plate umpire doesn't make the base umpire correct. That's right. Doesn't make the home plate umpire correct either. But as we've said, you've already alluded to, it's the home plate umpire's responsibility to keep this. And everyone should know it, mm-hmm. but the ultimate um, responsibility comes down to the plate umpire. And that's where I think it, it just helped me, and it helped you, obviously, to stay focused into self-talk. This is what I'm doing. I do not want to lose the count. And I, rec- I can remember, you know, Coaches come up, challenge me on the, on the count, and go, no, no, it's 2-2. Two, two. And I could walk through the pitches. And my mm-hmm. first one was low and outside, ball one. Second one, he fouled off. Third one, I called a strike. Remember, you didn't like it. One, two. You know, or whatever the scenario is. And they go, oh, okay, yeah, I guess that just don't see right, but I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's elevation. Yep. That's uncommon. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, sorry, I got off. No, that's good. Off. Let's talk now. You're in between periods. Let's say we're in between period one, period two. Um, this would not be the same for a, a high school official. A high school official, this might be more of a scenario that would happen between the first half and the second half. But for you, if if you're out there, I don't care whether you're U1, U2, crew chief, whatever, you're in between periods of a game. What are the things that you're noticing? What are you paying attention to? So the first thing I look at, at the, as soon as the final horn goes off, boom, right? This, you know, everything, the dust has settled, right? We have, I very rarely take my player, take my eyes off players because in the first half, what are they doing? They're probably crossing, crossing paths. Yep. Keeping my eyes on players just to make sure, right? Once the dust settles, I look at the arrow to find out, okay, it's white, white ball when we come back. Mm-hmm. Maybe visit with my crew, talk about a few scenarios, whatever it is. During that time, I'm looking up at the scoreboard. Make sure they clear the fouls. Mm. Make sure we're at zero zero because they, the scorekeeper may, you know, the clock operator may be forgetting. And I don't make a big deal about it if they don't clear them right away. I just want them to be at zero before we start the next period, mm-hmm. next quarter. And some some places don't do it until, the, you know, we get ready to start. Then they go zero zero. It's a quick couple buttons and it's done. Yep. And that's fine by me because maybe they, for whatever reason, they have a. A responsibility. Those are things, and I think, and I've talked about this story before. You know, I, when I do the clock at our school, I pay attention to those things. I'm typically responsible for starting and stopping the clock, putting the files on the board. And, you know, I, I don't, I, I want to be clear, right? I don't purposely try to mess anyone up, but I want to see if anyone's focusing. 
Mm-hmm. And I will leave the fouls up over halftime. Mm-hmm. I'll leave them up and wait till the start of the second half. And I'll have many, many officials, more than 80%, go ahead and start the game with nine to eight on the fouls on the scoreboard. They'll start them up. Mm-hmm. I'll had, I've, had, I've had officials start the game before I get the eight minutes up to mm-hmm. start the game. So that is a lack of focus, mm-hmm. uh, a non-elevated, an official, you know, whatever that might be. Um, but we, I mean, we all make mistakes, don't get me wrong. But I think that is, those are things that I do that I am checking in with. I'll check in with it. Might, if, if I'm fortunate enough to have a scoreboard that has the timeouts on it, I'm, I'm verifying they're still 4-4, four four, you know, or still, oh, no, so-and-so took one. We want to make sure they're 3-4. and four. I do that during the timeout. Mm-hmm. You know, when we have a timeout for white, you know, during that timeout, I want to make sure that they take a timeout away from the home team or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, all the time. And, you know, this is one of those things where are are you going to lose games because you didn't get the fouls zeroed out before the second period starts? Mm, right. Most no. likely not. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not going to happen. But is it something that can potentially put just a little bit of doubt in a coach's mind of, man, this this crew isn't on top of it tonight. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're getting ready to start and you've waited and you've been patient with the table and let's say you are the crew chief, you're getting ready to inbound to start the second period and they haven't done it yet. All it takes is just one quick little look across the court. Hey, can we please zero those fouls mm-hmm. out before you put the, the ball at the disposal of the thrower in? All of a sudden, man, that makes you look like you are on top of things yep. and you're recognizing mm-hmm. it before it starts. And now maybe that coach that was like, oh, I don't know. Oh, you know what? These They're on top of their stuff tonight. We're, we're in good hands. Yeah, and I think it even tells tells a coach, okay, these are some things that now I don't have to worry about as a coach. Mm, yep. I can focus on coaching my team. Whether they show our appreciation for us being on top of our game or not, mm-hmm. it it's going to – you've said before, right, if I'm working with an official that six is their best, mm-hmm. it's my job as a crew chief to get a six out of them. That's right. And believe it or not – it's my job to reassure that the coach can coach at the highest level they're able, they're available to coach at. Mm. And if they can do that, they're going to feel all warm and fuzzy. And whether they win or lose, I didn't distract them in any way to keep them from coaching at their whatever level their their best is. So that's good. That's good. There, there's a couple things specifically in basketball that we just have to be really on top of um, things like how many timeouts are left for a team to be able to call, whether or not they've got fulls or thirties, things like when do we call a media timeout things like um, are we ready to shoot free throws or not? You know, those are kind of three categories. I'm going to kind of lump into one here for you. If I could, you know, what are things that you do? What are tips or tricks that you use to make sure you're on top of those moments so they don't get missed. So as I've already mentioned, right? I'm, if I have if I have a scoreboard that has timeouts on it, I'm going to keep track of that. You know, as we get down to the end of the game, you know, I am, you know, obviously we're even keeping a closer eye on that. Um, I don't worry too much about thirty to full because ninety nine percent of my games. They only have one full, and it's usually the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, I just assume every timeout's a thirty-second timeout until they tell me, and then even if you know they only have a full left, I probably know that. 
But even if I go to report to the table and I say 30, the scorekeeper's going to go, it's got to be a full. Mm-hmm. So I can, it's, it's a simple process. I don't really, that, that doesn't make or break anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe anyway. Um, media timeouts. You know, you talk about self-talk during keeping track of the count mm-hmm. and the outs and things like that during a game. Well, that's exactly what I'm doing during the game. Once I hit six minutes and below, so that means I got about two, maybe three possessions. Mm-hmm. For those two or three possessions, I'm saying to myself, we're about to go to media. We're about to go to media. We're about to go to media. So we have a change of possession. Time of possession started at 53, and we're at 53, about to go to media. 53, we're about to go to media. Oh, the shot goes up. We're going the other way. We're at 27. We're about to go to media. Shot goes up. Now we're below five. We are going to media. We are definitely going. We mm-hmm. are definitely going. So those are the things I, I say. If someone was in my head, like, what is this guy talking about? He's always <laughs> saying about we're about to, we are, we're about to, we are. That way it doesn't get by me. Yep. Because they can. Sure. They can really sneak up on you if you're not prepared for them. And especially if a high emotion moment mm-hmm. happens yeah. somewhere in that mix. Mm-hmm. You know, you uh, let's say you've been saying, we're getting ready to go to media, we're getting ready to go to media. It's 5.05 at the start of possession. All of a sudden, you call it offensive foul. Mm-hmm. Coach kind of blows up on the sidelines or mm-hmm. whatever. It's 4.59 mm-hmm. on the clock, so we should be going to media. But now you're worried about communicating with the coach and everything else. Those those are ways that it can pop up and catch you real quick. And that's why all of us should be doing it. Mm-hmm. Because we're all not going to be in the heated call. Mm-hmm. If I'm in a heated call and my partner is doing the same thing I'm doing, they're going to go, I got this, Jeff. Yep. Media. Here we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yep. Or my partner has a heated call. And I'm like, I got this. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Do your thing. I'm going to send it to media. Yep. That's why we need to do those things. Not just one of us. All three of us. No different than baseball, mm-hmm. baseball, basketball, you know, our baseball plate umpire, base umpire needs to have that same focus for everything. Absolutely. There was another thing. Well, did you have another question? There? Another when do we shoot free throws about, you know, how, how do you stay on top of that? Knowing, okay, next one we're going to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that's what I'll, I'll, I'll actually say to myself, you know, we're shooting from now on, or we got one more to give, you know, things like that. I always relay to my crew, you know, that we're shooting two from now on down here or both ways, whatever that is, just to help that. Um, and I always, during those timeouts, when we're in the bonus, that's, you know, it's one of the things I'll say, don't forget, we're shooting everything from now on. Mm-hmm. We're shooting everything. Just don't, you know, keep, you know, keep reminding. I don't care if I got to say it 20 times. We got multiple advances. Don't forget we're shooting everything. Don't forget we're shooting everything. So that's what I'm doing all the time. Um, I think we probably fail in that regard by not reminding each other mm-hmm. because that's what happens. You know, yep. we're just waiting for somebody to blow the horn over there to tell us it's two. When if you want to be elevated, you don't have to have them blowing a horn at you going to. We're shots. already walking. Yeah, we're already doing this thing. You know, and sometimes, I, sometimes maybe I, you know, sometimes we're in arenas where the scoreboard isn't as visible as how many team fouls and things like that mm-hmm. so i'm listening i'm listening for the pa announcer that is the team's fourth you know okay perfect i got one more to give you know yeah or i'm just walking to the ball and i hear that is the team's fifth beautiful i know i'm shooting too yep. so um so here's one that kind of ties into that a little bit 
Uh, one of the things that I see a lot, there's somebody that's going to go shoot a layup. They get fouled. Uh, official puts fist up in the air, calls a foul, and then immediately sticks two fingers up in the air. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. We're right. going to shoot two. Right. Um, so two-part question here. One, do you do you like that mechanic? Do you think that's an elevated mechanic? Number two, whenever you aren't totally sure, man, should should we be shooting that one? Should we not? What are some things that you do as an elevated official to help you make that decision? Yeah, so... I hate to use a strong word like never, mm-hmm. but real close to never do I put a fist in the air and with that same fist, give the two signal. Mm-hmm. I do sometimes give the two signal with my other hand because mm-hmm. my, my thought process is my fist is telling you that I have a foul. When I'm telling you I have two shots, that means I have something else to say. Mm-hmm. So I want to use something else to say something else. If 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 we If we try to put it in, I'm going to do my best to explain this on audio only, right? Mm -hmm. Fist in the air, throw two fingers with that same fist. As I'm saying, foul two. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. Foul two. Where if I put my right hand in the air with a fist, put my right hand down, put my left hand in the air and say two, I've said foul, we're shooting two. Mm -hmm. I'm being way uh, more clear with my communications and precise. Mm -hmm. Opposed to foul two. So um, that's what I think we're sending a different message. Two shots is a different message than foul. Okay. So that's why I think we need to use two different things. I don't think we have to use that. If it's a layup to the basket, everyone knows it's two shots. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows it. We just don't have to give two. It's, it's very clear. We need to give two shots when maybe we're in the bonus. So mm-hmm. the foul's on the floor. Hey, we're shooting two. You know, or... Was she going up or was she not going up? Yes, we're shooting two. Um, and I believe that last part of your question was when it's 50-50, mm-hmm. how do you decide that? Sometimes I do let players decide. Mm. Um, they don't have the final decision, but they help me make a decision. I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this scenario first. When I have an out-of-bounds play and I blow the whistle, and I think it should be white, but I see all of white going the other way, I go, hmm, it's black. Mm-hmm. Because the players have helped me make that decision. Yep. I delay my signal just a moment to see what reactions of players are. They will help you on those. Same same scenario. If I have a foul that may be shooting or may not be shooting, and I blow the whistle and I put my fist in the air and I start walking to the table and I say foul on you know, red 32 hit, and I turn around and they're all lined up, then I go two shots. Mm-hmm. If they're all, you know, if they're all lined up on the baseline, I go, yep, on the baseline. If they're all turn around looking at me like, what's going on? Now I got to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Then I can, if if anything, what it's done is give me ten more seconds to replay that play in my head. And I turn around and go, okay, I guess I got to make this decision on this one too, baseline, whatever it might be. So. Yep. And I would say, especially at lower levels. So right now, I'm going to say junior high, high school. Uh, maybe even some junior college, I think a lot of officials have a tendency to want to be really picky about when that foul happened. Mm. We'll always say, on the floor, on the floor. Mm-hmm. And we, we hear it over and over and over. And 
when the truth is, it probably that. helps a whole lot. <laughs> and my watch is talking to me. They didn't get it. Let me repeat it again. Oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> we have our guest, our guest on the podcast today. Um, one of the things that, that can happen then is that when, when we start splitting hairs about whether or not we were in the active shooting or the action that precedes mm-hmm. the active shooting, you know, all mm-hmm. the way that terminology is, is that we take something that everybody in the gym knows we should be shooting on that. Mm-hmm. And now we're putting ourselves in opposition to everybody. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, not only did the offense think they should be shooting, mm-hmm. the defense thought they should be shooting. Right. They were already lined up on the lane. Yep. I was at a high school game the other night. There was a, a newer official who was working and they were just very adamant. You know, this is in line, right? Mm-hmm. And they turn around from reporting. And even though they had clearly said to everybody, this is on the in line, everybody was lined up to shoot to. Mm-hmm. Because Every, everybody knew. Mm-hmm. Another official walks over to that official, says, hey, I've clearly got them shooting there. Mm-hmm. I think we should be shooting. That official then turns to the table. Yep, we're shooting too. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. whereas if they just would have been patient in that and not been so adamant in that moment, they would realize, yeah, we, we need to be shooting too. Well, us as officials, we've almost been trained to, we have to make these instant decisions right away. Mm-hmm. And I would argue our job is to make decisions, not necessarily instantly, mm-hmm. but it's our job to make decisions. And we made a decision, a foul. I haven't, you know, I'm still processing whether it's a two-shot foul. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take everything in control, you know, everything I can take in to this play. You know, it's no different when I think that shot clock shouldn't reset, right? Man, I don't feel like the shot clock should have reset. And you hear all of a sudden you hear coaches go, why the reset? Why the reset? Okay, that, perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we talk about in our games where, so we're fortunate enough to have replay in, in, in our games where we can go to replay if we've called the foul on the wrong number, we'll say. Mm-hmm. So if I call a foul on 13 and our rule states um, that they can appeal that play, mm-hmm. they, or we can go look if there's some doubt. Okay. Well, if a coach asks me, then there's doubt. Yeah, you've just created doubt. Just created <laughs> doubt. No one needs to appeal anything. I'm just going to go look at it. Yep. You know, it's that simple. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people maybe don't think like I do, and they think maybe that's a little, you know, we're just giving the coach the advantage or whatever it is. Uh, maybe, but what I feel like I'm doing is is covering my scenario. Because, listen, I'm be the first one to mis- make a mistake. Admit that they can make a mistake, and I have plenty of times. So when I think I see a play, and maybe it was 31, not 13. I want to go verify. Yeah. So that's where we can use that. We can use everything we have in our power, not just this this instant of decision. Well, and I think that as you elevate more and more, and and obviously on the basketball side, I'm not anywhere near you know the things that you do. But I had a game last Saturday where I worked with two very very competent officials who work lots of different levels, and there was a play that happened between them. But we all know we've seen those plays where it's like the Red Sea parts. Mm-hmm. And we even though it's not our primary, we can see it. I had nothing in my primary whatsoever. Yeah, the open look. There was what I saw to be an obvious foul. Mm-hmm. I waited. I waited. I waited. And then I came in and, 
and, and got it. And I was like, I mean, you know, in my heart, I felt like I I waited two possessions before I blew the whistle. You know, yeah, right. we've already gone down and come back, and yeah, I'm blowing it from yeah, before. No, I got this one. It, it felt like forever. And when I went back and watched it on video, it it was a lengthy pause. But the funny thing about it was, as I'm walking over to report, the defensive coach who it happened right in front of, she's nodding her head at her player, going, "Yeah, you clobbered her." Mm-hmm. You know, the coach at the other end was going, thank you so much mm-hmm. for grabbing that. And it was just a patient. Thing. Both both my partners were straight line on it. Like, mm-hmm. they had no shot at getting that. They had other matchups they were looking at. This mm-hmm. was somebody coming in. I was the only person that could come get that. But because of where those coaches were, they could see the same thing that I was seeing. And if I had been so worried, oh, I didn't, I didn't blow my whistle right away, so I can't blow my whistle. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that, like you said, that patience, patience, patience. You know, I'm so thankful I felt comfortable doing that because I think it served our crew. Right. And, you know, we, we want to trust our gut. Mm-hmm. We want to trust our eyes. So I've seen many players go, oh, that's a foul. Right. And then if you're taking in the whole, let's say taking in the whole atmosphere, not your primary. Mm-hmm. But it opens up to you, you're like, ooh, that's a foul, right? And you see your primary official half cock at it, right? Fist mm-hmm. up, fist down. Decide not to call it. Now they've just convinced you that it is a foul. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You just you thought it was a foul for whatever reason you didn't blow because you picked it up late, whatever it is. Boom. It's easy to get. Yeah. You know, those are things where you go, oh, that's a foul. And then all of a sudden you see a player, you know, bend crooked or whatever that might be. Like, oh, okay, that helped seal the deal for me. Um we don't do that enough. Mm-hmm. We just don't do it enough. We don't look at the whole floor instead of just the primary area. We got to really see beyond the the 94 feet. Yeah. You know, it's our hope that as you head into your next pregame. Um, the, oh, sorry. Yeah. Jeff's, no, get, he's getting ahead, ready Jeff. to wrap up on me. I, got, <laughs> I took baseball some. notes. Oh, I took nice. baseball notes. So, Go for it, Jeff. So as an elevated yeah. baseball umpire which you are, what time does an elevated baseball umpire show up to a game? Oh, man. You know, baseball is so different than basketball. Basketball, we have very clear direction about when we're supposed to show up. You know, for most of us that work in CAA basketball, we know we're supposed to arrive 90 minutes for game time. Um, For most people that are working um, junior college, NAIA, some D3 conferences will require 75 minutes or 60 minutes, but pretty much every assigner that you work for has spelled out, this is the time we want you there ahead of time. Um, on the baseball side, it a lot of times it will fluctuate from crew chief to crew chief. Oh. Okay. Hey, I want everybody there, ready to go, hour before game time. Um, it's especially different when we're working a weekend series. If we're working a weekend series, we may want to be there 90 minutes before game one. Gives us more time to talk and connect and all that kind of thing. Game two, game three on Saturday, Sunday, we may get there 60 minutes before game time. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever time it takes us. What I have learned is, is that for me, I don't care what the level of the game is. I want to be at the field at the same time every game. Whether I'm the plate umpire, whether I'm the base umpire, for me, it's an hour and a half. Now, part of that's because that's what I'm used to for basketball. Mm. So for me, when it's about me getting my mindset right, Mm -hmm. 
I want to be, if I've got a, a 10 o'clock first pitch for a double header on a Saturday, uh, I want to be there by 8.30. And what that's going to do, it's going to give me lots of time if there's, a, if there's traffic on the way, if there's a problem, and I get there 30 minutes late, I've still got a full hour to get ready, whether I'm gearing up for the plate or not. Um, but for me, that's the key is having some consistency because if I'm, I'm, I'm going to get there 90 minutes early for this game, I'm going to get there 45 minutes early for this game and 60 minutes early for th- now I'm all sorts of messed up right. in my head. I, for me, it's always 90 minutes. So, okay. So Chad Ozzy shows up to the game. I don't care if it's a high school game or a college game. Mm-hmm. Is there a process now? Like, are you going to the field in your street clothes going, hey, Skip, I'm, I'm here? Um, you know, what's that process look like? Yeah, at the, at the small college level, a lot of times there's some of that. You know, there's making sure that a, uh, a coach or, or some sort of game personnel is aware that, that you guys are there. You may even say, hey, this is where we parked. If mm-hmm. it's a place that doesn't have locker rooms, because unfortunately there's still a lot of even mm-hmm. Division two schools that don't have locker rooms available to us, a few Division one schools that don't have mm-hmm. locker rooms available to us because of where their stadium's at. Um, if it's a place where we have a locker room, then we're not worried about that. We're going straight to the locker room. There's either a locker room attendant or game day personnel that knows we're there, um, sometimes a crew chief. Most of those situations were a three or four man crew. Crew chief, if there's communication that needs to happen with you know beyond that, they're the ones handling all that. Our job is to get our our heads ready to work the game that day. So, like, I, I'm going to go back to my days. You know, we'll just say an NAIA game. Mm-hmm. I would walk up to the field. Hey, you know, Frank, good seeing you. Uh, Sam and I are both here. We're you know parked over here. Is that, is that a problem? Nope, that's not a problem. Still got first pitch at 105, right? You know, mm-hmm. things like that. Does that, does that sound common? Yeah, it's very, very typical. Okay. Yep. You know, most of the time in this day and age, we're doing a lot of the confirmation of times and things like that ahead of time through, you know, electronic communication, sure. whether it's email, text, whatever, depending on what that school prefers. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there are schools that will have some sort of uh, athletic representative. They may reach out that morning by text saying, hey, my name's Joe. Uh, just so you know, I'll meet you guys with game balls by entrance C6, mm-hmm. um, you know, such, such time. If you have any questions, this is my cell phone to be able to get a hold of me, gotcha. you know? And so then we're going to do that confirmation with them. Not We're, we're going to let the coach focus on, on coaching before the game starts. Perfect. I love it. Now, so that leads me to the next question. Mm-hmm. Plate meetings. Yep. So is it standard protocol for it to be the head coaches to, you know, would a, would a head coach maybe send their pitching coach in because their head coach is doing something else? Um, what are the things that you cover in, in that scenario, in that situation? Well, you know, at the NCAA level, uh, especially small college, it's always going to be head coach. It's the person okay. that's going to have the right to come out and talk to us if there was any sort of issue. We know, And the reason for that is because that's a uh, it's a day of. Typically, those series are not multi, multi-day series. You know, okay. now if it's a multi-day series, that head coach is coming out game one. We're gonna know who they are, and they may send the pitching coach out the next day with the stuff. They may, you know, whatever. But that first time that we have that plate meeting, it's always gonna be the skipper, so we know what's going on. I remember this when we used to umpire. So let's say it's May. Mm-hmm. You, you've been to this stadium two or three times. 
but you haven't had it's a matchup that team that you haven't had right mm-hmm. so you know the ground rules mm-hmm. do you do the ground rules or you still have the head coach do the ground rules always have the head coach do ground rules at the collegiate level okay yep always um, the only time that's not the case is if it's a neutral site. Okay. Sometimes there are some neutral sites where the umpires know the ground rules better than the coaches. Yeah. You know, uh, the only thing that I'll do is if there's something that I think is a little bit different or tricky. Okay. Um, in, and, and especially if I can see the visiting coach have that funny look in their eye, like, okay, that didn't compute. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've all seen that look on people's faces, right? Mm-hmm. Then instead of making that coach ask, I'll step in and ask the home team head coach to give me clarification. That way it doesn't put that visiting coach in the position of having to make it look like they didn't understand or they don't know. Right. I would much rather that come from me. Hey, coach, I want to make sure I hear you correctly. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that to me? Can you put that into a situation how that might happen in our game? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Uh, and there, there's just a very few type places where that would happen. But I've, I've had some situations where it's like, Ooh, that's, that's not typical. Mm -hmm. So let's make sure everybody here at the meeting knows what's going on. So do you ask, so when you say, Hey, you know, Jack, can you take us around? Mm -hmm. Do you give specifics? If you could start at this dugout, work your way around to the other dugout. However, he normally will do it because most every coach just has a pattern they launch into. Gotcha. And if I mess up that pattern, they're going to miss three things. They're going to say, well, starting over here behind your left, you're going to notice we're tight all the way around. Now, when you get to this dugout, we have an extension. It's marked clearly by chalk. You know, whatever. You know, and they work their way all the way around. There's one spot over here in left center where the ball could get under because we had a washout last spring. Uh, Right. You know, or whatever. And so we don't want to take them out of that at all. But as they're going around, then if I've got questions, I'm going to come back to it's it. It's funny because as a head baseball coach, and of course, you know, that's I, I give the ground rules as an umpire would. Mm-hmm. And I you know, I pretty much start at one spot, go all the way around and finish. But I don't go over, oh, I think there might be a hole out there. Mm-hmm. Listen, it's a fence. That's right. It can happen. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I could say that anywhere, right? So, and the last question I have is... Um, when I go to baseball games, I watch umpires mm-hmm. and I want to ask you about in between innings. Yep. Okay. So where, what side do you go to first base? If you're a plate umpire, right? Mm-hmm. So talk about both scenarios, plate umpire. What side do you go to first base side, third base side, or do you even go on that line or where do you go in between each inning? And if you're a base umpire, I, that's a twofold question. Base umpire, where do you go? And also, what do you do as a base umpire before the game even starts after you've had your plate meeting? This is a great question because, especially as the plate umpire, there are two very distinct schools of thought. And obviously, they are opposite because <laughs> those are only two <laughs> right, options, right? right? right, right. Um, there are some people that believe you should go to the side so to the line of the team that is coming in to bat. Okay, wait. Okay. So so, the, so White was bat. just okay. out. So White's in the first base dugout. Okay. White was just out in the field. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. They get the third out. Yep. They're coming into the first base dugout. That school of thought says you go up the first base line. Got it. And the reasoning for that is they're typically not upset with you at that point. Okay? Because they're coming in to get to bat. They just got the third out. They're happy. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. If you go to the side of the team where there was just a controversial play at second that was the the third out, or you rung their big power hitter up, 
uh, on a strike three with bases loaded and they're down by two mm-hmm. and you're going to walk to the same side where they're all getting ready to go out to the field. Mm-hmm. Now there's the potential for them to mouth off or do something or whatever that can create an issue. So there's a lot of people that they prefer to go to the new offensive side okay. in between innings. I do not prefer that. I prefer always to go to the side of the new defense. A couple reasons why. Uh, the first reason why is that then there just aren't many players over there. There's not a lot for me to do because they've all gone out to be in the field now. Right? So, yes, you still got some people back in the dugout or whatever, mm-hmm. but I prefer that side. The second reason that I prefer it is because now I can watch the side of the new offense. It is amazing to me, even as a supervisor uh, in NCAA baseball, actually at almost any level of baseball, there should be no more than two players outside of the dugout swinging bats at any time. Mm-hmm. A lot of times before a game starts, you'll see like seven guys lined up with bats trying to time up a pitcher or mm-hmm. something. That's not allowable in our rule sets. Mm-hmm. So if I'm over there, it's now very easy for me to see if there's people out that shouldn't be out. The other thing, it's very easy if there's a coach that wants to make a lineup change. Now, instead of them walking up behind me, where I may not notice them, Mm -hmm. now I see them coming out of the dugout towards me. Now, I've got a choice there. If they're a a coach that's going to go coach in the third base box anyway, I'll let them come over to me. We'll make the changes and Mm -hmm. all, and I'm ready to go to start the inning. If it's one who's going to go back in the dugout because they've got somebody else that does that, then I may cross around behind the the catcher and meet them over there, take that information. Now I'm ready to communicate to the batter, hey, they got two more left. Mm -hmm. They're going down, whatever, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, But for me, I feel like that's that's the best way for me to be able to be in command of the field for what I need to do. When it's a base umpire, if I am first base umpire, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to right center field. Okay. Just past the the dirt grass line. Yeah. If I'm the third base umpire, I'm going to do the same thing over on the left center side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am always looking back in towards the infield. I may occasionally glance back, but nothing silly is ever going to happen out in the outfield. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm watching the infield where now maybe the the home team's dragging the infield while the other team's warming up and one of the guys mouths off at somebody mm-hmm. or, you know, people start mouthing back and forth at the other dugout or whatever. If I could be an extra set of eyes and ears to be helping. And the other thing it does is that if it's my dugout, that's now got two or three, you know, extra guys out swinging bats when they shouldn't be, mm-hmm. I'm another set of eyes to help shut that down as well. So as a plate umpire, correct me if I'm wrong. I know I would take th- at the very beginning of the game, you know, I would take, four or five of those pitches, those warm-up pitches mm-hmm. from each starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. I would do that, just kind of get, you know, see what they had, just kind of, you know, get the get the feel of things, right? Yep. Do you take, do you find yourself as a base umpire at the beginning of the game taking warm-up throws to first base? I never did until there was a guy, his name was Ricky Hammers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ricky's from Southern uh, Missouri. <laughs> oh, great guy. Talk about for a, for a baseball umpire. Yeah, that's an awesome that's name, a, right? Hammer. <laughs> um, and... Uh, uh, Ricky was awesome. He was working a, an early camp that I was at. And he actually went out and demonstrated for me what he does at the beginning of a game. And he said part of it was just to get his eyes ready, the same mm-hmm. way that we would behind the plate, right? Um, but 
the other reason he did is now he's looking to see how does that first baseman reach off the bag. You know, most of the times those first basemen are trying to stretch at the beginning of the game just to see what it feels like over mm-hmm. there. Is it is there a little bit of a washout by the bag? Is the dirt soft? Is it hard? What are all things that can make a difference that you don't notice if you're not paying attention to that? Mm-hmm. And then I'm very specific with the pitches that I take in the first inning for my starting pitchers. They get eight pitches to start. Mm-hmm. I will watch them take two. So the first two they throw, I'm not doing anything. I'm right there by the catcher. I may be talking with the catcher but I'm watching the pitcher, see if there's anything funny about the delivery or whatever. Then I'm going to take two pitches as if it was a right-handed batter. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to take two pitches as if it was a left-handed batter. So now you're at six. Now I'm at six. Now I'm coming up. I'm telling the catcher, hey, you've got two left. I'm now turning to the on-deck circle. They've got two left. I'm going to stand. I'm going to watch him take those last two. I got my brush out ready to go. So as soon as the catcher throws down, I'm cleaning off the plate. We're ready to go right away. Nice. So with both those those opening pitchers, I'm going to take four pitches. I'm, yeah. going to, I'm going to watch four pitches, but I'm going to watch two, take four, watch two. Do the same thing for a relief pitcher? I do not. So we don't take pitches at all for relief I don't pitcher. take pitches at all for a relief pitcher. There's enough other things going on in the game. At that point, Tensions could be high. Coaches could be needing to communicate with me, mm. whatever. Yeah. At that point, if I can't see a pitch coming in, I'm in trouble. Right. So I'm, I'm not doing that with relief pitchers. One last question. Yeah. So after an inning's over, you just completed a whatever, do you ever sweep the plate off after the inning, or do you wait to start the new inning, then sweep the plate off? I wait to start the new inning unless the plate's covered. Okay, I see. So let's yeah, say play that the, the plate or something. Yeah, play at the plates. What ended that inning? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna go out there and I clean it off so that my catcher's not dealing with that when he comes back out, and we'll go from there. Just thought of another one because this is I remember talking about this stuff. So when I'm given the count, mm-hmm. so how many times do you give the count in in, in a bat? I typically will give the count no more than two or three times max. Every other pitch, for me, I typically don't give the count. Until it's at least two and two, okay. unless the at-bat could end on the next pitch. So what I mean by that is, let's say it's an 0 and 2 count. Okay. I'm going to give the count because if it's a strike on the next pitch, the at-bat's over. I see. If it's a 3 and 0 count, mm-hmm. I'll give it yeah. because the at-bat could end with a ball. Now, a trick I learned, then let me know if you do this. Maybe I'm teaching you something. Mm-hmm. I doubt it, though. We, when I would give the count, whenever that was, right, every other pitch or whatever that time, you know, I would not give. So you typically hold it right around shoulder high, maybe a little bit higher, somewhere in that area. But I see so many umpires do this, but I wouldn't do that. I probably started off doing it is I won't give counts now until my catcher is down. Mm -hmm. That way it just shows me a little bit more presence behind the plate, makes me look a little taller, a little stronger. I see so many high school umpires now, as I'm coaching baseball, give counts while catchers still standing up. No one can really see it. Do you, how do you approach So that? for me, I'm not worried about my catcher, and here's why. Because at the collegiate level, I am not giving the count to the field. Technically, huh. as a high school umpire, as a little league umpire, you're not giving the count to the field. And oh, I want yeah. you to think about that. I want you to think about which hands you're giving the count with. Yeah, so right hand. We're giving strikes. balls. With left, uh-huh, yeah. and we're giving strikes with the right, mm-hmm. which means it's now backwards to the pitcher. Yeah. So it's obvious I'm not giving the count to the pitcher. If I was giving the count to the pitcher, 
I would do like we do when we report in basketball. Yeah. We report so that the person at the table can see. I am giving the count to the press box oh my behind me, which is why I want my hands elevated uh-huh. and I want them high. So that way, uh, a guy, Mike Nugent, um, who was a, a baseball umpire here in the uh, Chicagoland area for a long time, uh, he's now uh, kind of retired from that and is down south with his other job. Uh, but Mike caught me with that one day. I was working a Division two game, and I was giving the count kind of out in front of my chest and giving it forward towards that. And he's like, dude, who do you think you're giving the count to? And I was talking <laughs> about it. He's like, see those people up there in that box behind you, way yeah. up high? Yeah. They're the ones that need to know the count. If the people out in the field don't know the count, that's their own fault. They should, know, they should be paying attention, yeah, right. right? But you need to be giving it to people up behind you. Never so thought of it that way. that's why we give balls with left, strikes with right, because then people behind us can read it as a three and two count. See, as an umpire, I only thought of it as, and I worked high levels mm-hmm. baseball, right? I only thought it as I'm giving my strikes on the right because that's what I call the strike with. Mm-hmm. I never called a strike with your left hand. You're not supposed to do that. You know, outs with your right, left, you know, strikes yep. with your right. So that's what I did. So that's why the strikes were on the right. So yeah, no, it's because it's always people behind you. Interesting. Yep. Very nice. That's all I got, man. Awesome. That's good stuff. Hey guys, we hope that as you are prepping for your baseball season, getting ready to take that test, or uh, hopefully have have completed it by the time this uh, uh, this podcast comes out, or if uh, if you're heading to your next basketball game, we hope these basic tips and tricks. Yeah. Uh, will be valuable to you. You may have listened to every single one of these today and been like, I knew all of that. First of all, that's awesome if you did. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I promise you, some of your crewmates aren't going to know them. Mm -hmm. They may be great talking points in a pregame. Or if you know you've got somebody newer with you, maybe it's just a little nugget that you could give somebody that's going to help them feel more at ease and more comfortable as they take the court or the field this season. Mm -hmm. Maybe there are some other tips and tricks that you think, man, they... They, they definitely should have talked about this. They should they should know about this. If you've got one of those, send it to us at uncommondrivepodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. And yep. while you're doing that, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and uh, write us a review as well. We appreciate that so much. Have a phenomenal week. We'll talk to you guys again next week. See you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Uncommon Drive Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.